Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 287, Portals to Hell, Haunting Ghosts with Jack Osborne and Katrina Weidman, coming back to the Travel Channel this Friday, premiering at 8 Central, will be the second season of Portals to Hell, which is a a pretty metal name for a ghost hunting show. Yeah, and coming out on Friday the 13th. Right. Couldn't be a better date for it, right? I, I don't think so. And the thing is, you better have a pretty metal name if you have the son of Ozzy Osbourne being the right. star of the show. <laughs> you know, and if Ozzy's the Prince of Darkness, I'm not quite sure what to call Jack Osbourne. Like, is he the, you know... The, Prince what Baby? Is, what is the grandson of Darkness called? Well, hmm. I yeah, don't know. That's, little, a, that's a very good question. If anyone knows... Please tell us. What will we call Little Jackie Devil Man? I mean, when, when you're the grandson, you know, I just, I'm not, I guess, I guess Little Nicky was the character in the movie or whatever. Well, you uh, could have asked him, Mike. I, that could have been one of the, I, that could have been one of the questions. <laughs> the questions. I, di- I didn't want to waste the few minutes we had to talk on a joke. Okay, that's fair. Right. So, uh, but the thing is, we do have a conversation with Jack Osborne. And Katrina Weidman. And Portals to Hell is coming back Friday the 13th. And we spoke to them for a few minutes about some of their favorite cases and things like that. So let's cut to the conversation with Jack and Katrina. Katrina, the first time we talked to you was actually at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference in 2016 when you were on... Uh, a panel talking about the third season of Paranormal Lockdown in the UK. So what's the biggest difference between ghost hunting with like a ghost hunting professional like Nick Groff or a reality TV guy like Jack Osborne? Well, you know, I think I've worked with a lot of different investigators over the 15 years I've been doing this professionally. And I think, you know, everybody you work with is going to be different, right? And everyone has their own belief system that comes into play. Everyone has their own methods of doing things. Everybody has their own interview styles. So I think this naturally, you know, it's, you're going to have differences when you start working with someone new. And I don't necessarily know that it's fair to compare Nick and Jack because they're such different people just in general um, where they each absolutely have their own flavors of how they conduct themselves on an investigation. I think Jack and I, where Jack and I really align, though, is we're both, I I would kind of label us open-minded skeptics. Um, So although we believe that things happen, we're not, uh, as Jack likes to say, we're not the Kool-Aid drinkers. You know, everything we're we're ever told is exactly how it happened and what happened. So I think, um, you know, we really have a a strong uh, connection that way as far as how we investigate together. Do you find that... um you know, when you are going to different sites or working together or, you know, getting into the uh, the actual investigation part or even just walking through the towns where the investigations are, is it different walking with like a, you know, a, a reality TV star versus a paranormal reality TV star? Just like the people recognize him? Um, yeah, but it's pretty, it's pretty chill with us. Yeah. I mean, he's, and he's also, 
I don't know. I think people have a view of um, certain celebrities as far as, uh, you know, their status and as far as, like, um, maybe how they take recognition. And Zach is really just down-to-earth boy next door. Um, so I think he, he kind of flies under the radar a lot for people. And when he is recognized, you know, people are very, very courteous to him. And in exchange, he's, he's very, very humble to everybody that we meet in these towns. So um, I haven't found that to be an issue at all. Well, that, that was just... not to look me in the eye. <laughs> I mean... <What? laughs> I mean, that's what I just, because I mean, it, it, it does seem like it's always interesting when people from like different worlds collide. And, and that's kind of, you know, I think what makes Portals to Hell exciting and different because it is that different perspective. And, you know, Jack, I, you know, so I grew up in the 80s during the satanic panic. And, you know, your, your father was public enemy number one. Uh, on, on, you know, on that. And, yeah. But even as a kid, I always felt, you know, you'd watch the videos and stuff and you're like, well, this is play acting. This is, I mean, Mr. Crowley is a song. It's not, you know, he's not engaging in some ritual at home. Um, but now, I mean, you guys are investigating the paranormal. So when you're, you're growing up around all of those kind of, you know, the play acting and the fun and the symbolism and the, and the drama and the music. But what moment did you think that the supernatural might have something to it versus something that your dad just does for marketing? You know, it was kind of one of things where I, I'd always had an interest in anything fringe. You know, I was the kid that was obsessed with reading about UFOs and ghosts, and I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark every weekend. <laughs> it was like, you know, I loved this world because it was kind of adjacent to the world that I was, kind of growing up in to a degree, to your point, you know, it was the, the, I guess, uh, the mysticism of it was in my house, but it wasn't like, it wasn't real. It was, Hey, this could be fun if you have fun with it. Um, and I just had experiences as a kid and I was, always, you know, going back to your first question, you know, I think one of the reasons why we're a bit different as a show is because, I represent the enthusiast at home that doesn't get to go and do this. I was the guy, you know, I worked in TV. I've done a dozen other TV shows, and but my hobby has always been paranormal and you know ghost hunting stuff. So it it's kind of a good balance. And for me, this was a you know it's my second ghost hunting show, and primarily because it, I enjoy doing it, and it's not something that is. Uh, you know, there is a serious component to it, but it's so explorative. You know, we don't really know what we're 100% looking for. We have kind of theories and, you know, evidence to kind of back up some theories. But at the end of the day, we, you know, we're just kind of flying blind here and trying to, con you know, conduct experiments and gather, you know, results. Well, and, and so, we, like like those results, I mean, the uh, the TV show has a suggestive title, right? Portals to Hell, um, you know. But did you ever, you know, sure. when you were, guys were going into uh, an investigation, is there a place that you thought was going to be totally evil, um, but it ended up being harmless? Like, you walk in, and you're like, okay. Like, it, it seemed like oh, a really imposing kind of place, but then all the activity ended up being super nice or fun? <laughs> 
Yeah, um, Jack, do you want yeah, to hear that I mean, one? Yeah, I kind of think that, um, man, I'm trying to think what was the kind of more mellower place. Um, you know, I, it was like a, a portal to purgatory instead of a portal to hell. A portal to purgatory. <laughs> Just a bunch of bored ghosts going, man, <laughs> what are we doing? Um, <laughs> um, it's, uh, I kind of thought, you know, the, the first episode we're doing, uh, we, you know, we go to this place called Old Paulding Jail. And it's this jail that was built in the 1800s. And I was expecting it to be incredibly terrifying. Now, there's a huge twist in this, in this uh, investigation. And we uncover some stuff which we never encountered before. But by and large, like, that things did happen without a doubt. And it was uh, a very, but I was kind of, it was our first episode back. So I was like, all right, this is going to be gnarly. We're going to hit the ground running. We're in tune with each other. Like we know how to investigate. And it was, I don't want to say it was mellow, but it certainly wasn't a portal to a spiritual hell. The prison itself was, uh, the jail was a certain, you know, an actual real portal to hell for some people because it sucked there. Um, but it, uh, it, it, it wasn't as terrifying when it comes to the ghost stuff. I think when it comes down to knowing what occurred or at least having a theory of what occurred when it was operating and people were alive and enduring it was, um, was definitely crappy. And that's, that's most of the cases with the old jails and prisons we go to. Sure, they seem more you know, terrifying um, maybe than they en- you know, end up being. It's like when people talk about sanitariums the whole time, they just think of this like horrible place where just lobotomies were performed, but a lot of people were you know, uh, taken care of and wonderfully, and it wasn't all lobotomies. Sure, although there was some where it was. Well, of course, right. <laughs> right. It, I, I wasn't saying it was all sweetness and light. There was obviously uh, some, some head drilling mm-hmm. going on there. But um, now you guys you know, purposely go into places that have negative activity. And are you ever worried about attachments? Are you ever worried something's going to follow you home? Or conversely, has anything followed you home that you're like, oh, great, break out the sage? (laughs) Um, So I have had that happen in the past, uh, very early on when I was doing this. And the best advice I ever got was just to ignore it. And I did. And within a couple of months, the activity stopped. But I think the scary part about it is, you know, Jack and I always say this, that what, I mean, to jump off of what Jack just said, too, it was, you know, we don't really know what this stuff is. So everything we talk about, it's through that, what if this stuff is real kind of lens, right? But it's all speculation. And that speculation does come from eyewitness accounts. It comes from spiritual texts. It comes from uh, cultural um, legends. Um, but we always have to keep in mind that that might not be accurate, Right. At the same time, we have to keep in mind, what if it is accurate? What if there's some truth to how these things work and why they work the way they work? And if that's true, then there's certainly a lot of different spiritualities and cultures that claim that that stuff can stick with you your whole life if you're not careful. So taking that into account, that becomes a very scary thing. I've certainly seen other investigators who believe that they have had lifelong attachments. I've met many witnesses who believe they've had lifelong attachments. I've worked with people that, you know, their psychologist um, is like, I, I can diagnose some real world issues going on here, but it doesn't account for everything. So 
you know, that's always kind of in your back, in the back of the head of, well, what if? What if we're working with things that we can never really get rid of? But there hasn't been too much, you know, you're, you know, when you're not on the phone today, like, oh, God, that, you know, the shadow's behind my neck again. <laughs> uh, not today. <laughs> okay, good. Good. You know, one thing I've heard that people... Uh, you know, I admittedly, like... Please continue. I'm sorry. I was just going to ju- jump in and say, like, I, I've had weird experiences in my house this year. Um, and my house is brand new. It was built in, like, 2014. Um and like I've had stuff like my kids are seeing things, my girlfriend seeing things. Um, uh, ob- I, this is a new one. Katrina doesn't even know this, but uh, objects. My girlfriend saw uh, objects go flying across my kitchen the other day. Um, so I, you know, is it? I don't. I just yeah. Apparently, two pins in our in the corkboard in the kitchen went whizzing across the kitchen like a week ago. I wow. flew like four feet off the wall, like with like force. Um, and so I don't know, is it an attachment or is something, you know, is leaning into this activity, this investigative kind of realm? Is it putting like a, you know, raising a flag above our heads and, you know, whatever's out there is like, hey, these people are looking for us. Let's, uh, let's let them know we're here. I, I don't know. So as you're trying to dig up evidence and everything, um, you know, sometimes you can get lost in all of the gear, the tech, the, you know, the, the meters and the, um, the cameras and the full range cameras and thermal, everything. But, you know, what do you think is the, um, the coolest investigation technique or piece of tech that you tried that you were really excited about that ended up getting zero results? Is there, you know, is there a camera you're like, oh, my God, we spent $10,000 on this camera. And Jack, as a producer, you're probably like looking at the budget like, OK, we spent a ton of money on this camera. I better see the <laughs> ghost in my face. Is there anything that you were super excited about that you're like, oh, God, it didn't turn out? I mean, for me, oh, you know, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tech, tech for me is always such hit or miss because. I mean, again, we none of this is proven, so we can't say for sure this is what these things are made of. So we don't have the answers to be able to build the tech to detect them and to capture them and to, you know, see them. Um, so a lot of the tech is just based off of eyewitness accounts when people have experiences, what they describe happening to them. And that doesn't always pay off. And, you know, it, it can be really, really frustrating, but I think that's just, kind of par for the course and working in the field. We don't have all the concrete answers, so it's always going to be a trial and error basis. And conversely, is there any like technique or investigation method that you used that either was you thought was silly or you're like, okay, let's just do this to, you know, as a completist or whatever, let's just try this. But then it shocked you with the evidence you ended up getting or the results you ended up getting when you just kind of half-assed it or something like that. <laughs> Uh, Jack, do you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of times we get results when we're not even expecting to get results. You know, we'll just be kind of chatting, screwing around, whatever, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, what is that? Like, you know, one of the, really one of the scariest things that happened to us, we were thinking, oh, there's nothing really going on, and we kind of just let our guard down, and we were walking upstairs in this house, which you know, aptly named is called a hell house. <laughs> and we had the loudest bang. I mean, it sounded like someone took a, like a baseball bat and smacked it against the drywall. Um, and 
I about jumped out of my skin. And it's just, it's, it's often when you kind of let your guard down, stuff happens. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know why that happens, but, you know, maybe it's that classic case of, you know, it's just sometimes you find things when you're not really looking. And last question for you guys, as far as, you know, since you guys started doing Portals to Hell, has there anything you discovered or in your investigations that made you question an element of your reality uh, that maybe you didn't before? Like, okay, ghosts are believable, but no way do I believe in fairies. And then all of a sudden you see something like, okay, maybe that was a forest elemental or whatever. And I couldn't believe it before, but now I saw something. (laughs) So is there anything that maybe that you've encountered that went um, against, even if you were open-minded to paranormal, but might have gone against something that you believed in the past? For, for me, where I'm at right now with it, I I don't necessarily close any doors on that stuff, you know, because I've been surprised too many times in the past. So I don't I don't know if that much would shock me at this point anymore, you know. Right. So a leprechaun jumps out at you at St. Patrick's Day, you're down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I you know I'm I'm open to things. I'm a bit of a. Uh, I'm a bit of a Bigfoot naysayer, but, um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm open to it. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, whoa, Bigfoot's real. And I, you know, I've had, you know, my, my ex-wife's uncle swore, put his hand on the Bible and was like, I saw Bigfoot. Um, I don't know. Like I, but it just, it seems really, that, that one's a tough one for me to wrap my head around. All right. Well, I hope you see Bigfoot in Portals to Hell 3. I hope so too. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I'll let you guys go. We're past time, but I wanted to thank you very much for your time today and uh, good luck with the new season. And uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. Now on the TV show, I mean, they just go to like haunted places that maybe have dark energy or, or sinister haunted stories. Or a doorway to, you know, Hades town. <laughs> right. The thing is, there are actual places in the world that people said were gateways to hell or, you know. Which I think is weird. Like a physical entrance. Like a physical entrance. Like you could go in there. What's the secret knock for that one? I was going to say, thank you. Like you have to knock 666 times and then the devil shows up finally. (laughs) Well, but if you take a place like Stull, Kansas. Oh, definitely. Right. That people said, first of all, we've been to Stull, Kansas, right? So we've gone to the cemetery where people said... uh, was one of the gateways to hell. Yeah. And the urban legend uh, was actually started in the 1970s. And uh, in the University Daily Kansan, which is their student newspaper, they claimed that the devil appeared in Stull twice a year, once on Halloween and once on the spring equinox. And that the cemetery was the location of one of the seven gates to hell. And the church ruin that's in the cemetery, and now it, now it really is a ruin. Yeah, we saw it. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like nothing left of the church there. Um, that the church is, is possessed by the devil. And, you know, that if you stand around it um, and like do some kind of devilish stuff, Satan will show up. That the, when the Pope was flying to Colorado in the 1990s, he had to redirect the flight path of the plane so that he wouldn't go over the unholy ground of Stull Cemetery in Kansas. So, I mean, this is really popularized on the TV show Supernatural, 
where in you know in supernatural uh, Sam and Dean Winchester are actually from Lawrence, Kansas. That's where their um, characters are from. And so uh, because Lawrence was close to Stull and the the supernatural creator Eric Kripke, he knew about that urban legend. Ah, yes. Um, of the Stull Cemetery being a gateway to hell. He made them from Lawrence, Kansas. And they even have a um, a confrontation between like the Archangel Michael and Lucifer in the season five finale. So they don't, I don't actually, they don't actually shoot in the cemetery or whatever, but like they use Stull, Kansas and the urban legend surrounding the cemetery is a gateway to hell, um, <laughs> you know, in the TV show. And what's funny though, too, is that not only uh, did Supernatural use that urban legend, but also the band Urge Overkill did too. Oh yeah. So their 1992 like EP, which they don't really have EP, an EP back in the day they called extended play, was you'd play a vinyl record and had room for like five or six songs versus just one or two songs like a single would, you know, with just two sides. And an LP, long play, has the room for, you know, 15 songs, 16 songs. So they released an EP in 1992 called Stull. (laughs) <laughs> and they go out to the Stull Cemetery and take a picture of one of the tombs there. Um, you know, take a picture, and that's the album cover. So famously, I mean, that EP is what contained their um, cover of Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Mm-hmm, huge. Which became huge because uh, it was used in Pulp Fiction. Right. And then and it was included on the soundtrack of Pulp Fiction. And so, interestingly enough... Um, that song becomes huge and Urge Overkill, you know, they were already a fairly popular Chicago band and then they go national by having their song in like the biggest movie of 1994. And it's just funny because like they were playing on the whole devil worship aspect of rock and roll (laughs) and they have a song, Stull, part one, that's on the EP. And when they were talking about the song, um, like one of the guys from Urge Overkill, Eddie Roser, he's like, it's a really frightening cemetery, man. Supposedly, it's some <laughs> kind of cult location for Satanists. And the song is about a trip to the cemetery, um, three references to the number six in a song, and then a little <laughs> bit of Charles Manson reference to make it even nice. more evil. Well, and, and Mike, having gone there, did you get a feel of evil from the place? I got a feel of boredom from the place. Oh. <laughs> it did, like... Still, still felt pretty dull. Well, it's um, such a small town. It's a real, you know, rural area, and it's a tiny little cemetery. And actually, I, th- right. I thought it was a beautiful place. It seemed sure. like a really peaceful, you know, final resting place for those that are buried there. Uh, didn't feel evil to me, really, except that I did experience one of the times, because I've been there twice now. <laughs> okay. That the first time I was there was Scott. We... Um, did notice that there was some like charred ground that was kind of like smoldering. Okay. So maybe that feeds into the the rumors. The maybe I mean maybe the devil showed up and his footprints were still burning holes on the ground. Yeah, I don't know, but I know I remember reading on uh, Planet Weird that when they were there there was smoldering all around. So I don't know if that's some kind of phenomenon for that area or what, but well, it was, was it, just wait, weird. Was it still hot? Was it was it hot yeah. ground? Yeah. Okay. But the other thing I, I wanted to bring up about this, and I think we've talked about this in other episodes, but it's worth bringing up the fact that that legend that you were talking about that was started, you know, at the university, mm-hmm. it was propagated <laughs> by, 
because, you know, there was the, the, the legend that if you went at a certain time, I think it was on Halloween or something like that. If mm-hmm. you were there at midnight, you know, the devil would come out or whatever. And so young people were gathering like in mass quantities <laughs> to see this come true. And it was uh, becoming a problem. And so they, one of the local news stations sent someone out there to be there at the moment to like show everybody, look, this is not something we need to be gathering for every year. It's not, it's just, right. it's just an urban legend, you know, whatever. And they were going to be there with the camera and stuff. And then they, right before the clock hit midnight or whatever, the police came in and made everybody leave. So they didn't get to prove that it was, <laughs> it was false. Ah. So that's just, you know, further propagating the, the legend. So the police, the police stopped it. Well, it's the police are hiding it. Right. Well, I don't know. But, you know, whatever, whatever they didn't want it to be on TV. I don't know. But um, it seems like that would have been the perfect opportunity to sort of like smack down the rumor. Right. Well, you know, what I think is interesting about Stahl here um, is that you were talking about smoldering ground. Yeah. And then um, the urban legend around this uh, Oliver Bonmeyer, who was a kid buried in the... uh, the Stell, Kansas cemetery. And that, you know, it's hard to say because it looks, this might be an urban legend more than any kind of, um, like I'm looking for a newspaper report on, on this kid. Mm. But you have in Douglas County, Kansas, uh, Oliver Baumeyer dies in the early part of the 20th century while his father's burning his field. So uh, a lot of times uh, a farmer will burn a field to help the plant, you know, to remove plants that are already growing to help plants that are about to come up. They're called prescribed burns. Right. It's supposed to improve the health of the field. Um, it's done a lot in the Midwest in, you know, places like Missouri and Kansas. And so uh, the, the farmer was burning the field and his son wanders into it and then burns to death. Ah, sad. And so that... The rumor, you know, the ghost story there is that if you step on uh, Oliver's tombstone, you get shot to hell. Like, he'll come out and grab you and drag your body to hell. And, you know, so that kind of thing contributes to that. But it was interesting that you just talked about that kind of smoldering because um, if a nearby farm is burning their field. Right. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, if there's a doorway that leads to the hottest place in the universe. <laughs> right. Absolutely. The door opens. Um, but, you know, that's one thing that can just make the whole thing a little bit more scary and that can add credence to it. Because if you walk by and you like have smoldering dirt, you're like, what happened here? Even though it might just be a farmer burning the yeah. field, uh, you know, which is a, a extremely normal thing for the Midwest. What it does is kind of it. It makes it a little scary. For yeah. Like, oh, it's all real. Um, and and oh. by the way, I do have to correct myself. It was not still smoking. That was a fabricated memory. <laughs> I okay. was just looking at, because Scott blogged this on whatsyourghoststory.com, and um, he's got photos of it if you want to see. We can link it in the show notes. But it's just a very black, smoldered area of the ground that looked like it had recently burned. So I see. Okay. Perhaps there was a controlled burner. I don't know. It didn't. It's weird. The picture's weird. It's I've seen the prescribed burns where it's just scorched earth, you know, like a solid field yeah. of scorched earth. And what we saw was like lines in the ground, basically. So like just not like a blanket area. But anyway. All right, then. Well, um, don't go to stall if you expect to see the devil. But do go 
if you're like if you're on some kind of supernatural, you know, because you're a big fan of the show, um, there's nothing wrong with going there and snapping a few pictures. Yeah. But if you go there at midnight on Halloween, <laughs> the police are going to arrest you. And there is still the Basically. foundation of the little church where supposedly yeah. the there's the stairway that goes down to the portal to hell exists. Yeah. So. No, and well, we we did a live video from there uh, a couple years ago too, so we'll link that in the show notes so you guys can see our own trip to a portal to hell uh, that turned out not to be so hot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's not the only place that people call the gates of hell. Okay, cool. It seems like that's a pretty popular, at least American urban legend. Mm-hmm. Is this idea of of the gates of hell, um, where I grew up near McQuanago, Wisconsin. We had a abandoned farmhouse that was burnt, and you could see it from uh, you could see it from the highway, and it was behind some trees. It was pretty far in, and now I mean it's it's all gone because they raised it and they put up a um, parking lot. They put up like (laughs) (laughs) right. Well, there is a parking lot for a like an urgent care center. Paved the portal to hell and put up a parking lot. So perhaps they could, uh, I guess, drop people, right? I guess bad people, if they don't do well at the urgent care center, they just drop <laughs> oh, them into the hole to go to hell. But, you know, Allison told me about it. My sister told me about it. She was seven years older than me. And so when she was in high school, we'd be um, driving into town, into McQuanago for something. And then she'd be like, check out that abandoned house over there. They call that the gates of hell. Ooh. And kids go there to play the Ouija board. And she, she doesn't remember telling me this. Wow. But she tells me, you know, she told me that when I was a kid. And I'm like, all right. So I kept on thinking when I'm in high school, I'm eventually going to go That's there. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then we did. And? Had a, pre- had a pretty big group of people go to this place, to quote unquote, Gates of Hell. And it's, I mean, it's a spooky abandoned farmhouse that's burnt. But some of the ceiling's still there. Some of the, I mean, some of the roof's still there, and a lot of it's been like punched, like the walls been punched through in places and everything. But we go there, set up the Ouija board and everything, and I'm gonna do the Ouija board with this with this other girl, and we got about ten people there, about half guys, half girls, and so go there, set up the Ouija board. It's about nine o'clock on a Friday in October, so it's near Halloween. That's why we could probably get so many girls to go. <laughs> Otherwise, oh, right. Otherwise, the girls. Right. Like, why no. would you want to go there? Things were different back in the nineties when you could be like, "Hey, you want to go to scary?" Like now, like most people I know, the girls I know, if I say we want to go to a scary place, they're like, yeah. sure, because um, they're into ghost hunting. But back then, they're like, "What? Oh, I guess it's by Halloween. That's fun." <laughs> so we go out, put out the Ouija board, and then as we're sitting over it, one of my other friends walks over. He drops a bone on the oh, Ouija no. board. Oh no! And he says, "Here." You could use this as an antenna. <laughs> and kind of kind of clever. <laughs> yes. I go, where did you get that bone from? And like you could see into the walls. So like the you know, the in between the walls was like hollowed out because people had punched through and had burned through. And there were dozens of animal bones inside the wall. Hmm. Wow. 
I never quite could figure that one out. Like, why were those dozens of animals, like, like a cow femur, yeah. you know, like a huge Weird. bone, like some were huge and some, but dozens of, of animal bones inside the walls of this certain place. And we never quite figured it out why. And uh, I don't think we got anything good off the Ouija board, but we were pretty spooked yeah. out that somebody would place Just bones in the walls of the place that they called the gates of hell. Picture some weird, like, hermit sitting in there, <laughs> like, right. wandering around the property, just collecting all the bones and sticking them in the wall. It's so strange. Well, you know, I I really thought that it might just be farm kids doing stupid things. Sure, I could, I could see that, yeah. And, you know, that's how I felt about a lot of stuff at the time, until I kind of thought about when, when they had those, I always thought that the satanic panic, it's all stupid and it's all a joke. And I even said, you know, I said that to Jack in the interview that satanic panic I thought was a joke, even as a kid. Uh-huh. But when, like, in the Beast of Bray Road, in Seth Breedlove's movie, and he talks to the animal control officer in the county that's adjacent to where we grew up, because I grew up right by the Beast of Bray Road, where the, or Bray Road in that area, um, and they talked about, in the late 1980s, finding, you know, finding just a ditch full of animal bones that people had just gone oh. through and killed all these animals and put all the bones there, and, and he felt it was like a ritual sacrifice until, I mean... Certain things kind of clicked, and I was like, okay, maybe the gates of hell was a place where people did these similar kind of sacrifices. Sure. And maybe it wasn't just dumb farm kids screwing around. Oh, gosh. And I, because I really did not think there was anything sinister about the place at all. I thought the place was spooky, and that that was the reason that people did the Ouija board there, but I didn't get any kind of feeling of like, this place is evil. Um, But now going back to it, you're like, okay, people were performing animal sacrifices in the late 1980s in southeastern Wisconsin. Here we stumbled on a place with dozens of animal bones. Creepy. Stuffed into the walls. Well, and you weren't that far from Haunchyville too, right? No. I mean, 15 minutes from Haunchyville. Oh, man. You know, you had like basically a a paranormal wonderland down there between the gate to hell, Haunchyville. You had all kinds of fun stuff to explore. Absolutely. The Beast of Bray Road, the Gates of Hell, Haunchyville, <laughs> Haunted Rainbow Springs Hotel, where I stumbled upon an actual, uh, somebody was actually performing a ritual where they were sacrificing an animal. Oh my gosh. Um, that was with that was like a year after we went to the Gates of Hell. So like, I guess there was something going on in southeastern Wisconsin. Like, it, I just thought people had watched too many Ozzy Osbourne videos. And that's why they were doing those things. Because I, I, I loved Ozzy Osbourne. And I just thought it was all a pantomime. Yeah. It was all wow. a joke. So maybe people actually were doing stuff. I'm not sure. But somebody for sure was stuffing bones into the walls oh, of man. a particular place. And that's what we called the gates of hell. Um, but we didn't actually think it was a gateway to hell. We just thought it was a super spooky place to do Ouija. In other places, like how people think of Stull, um, the urban legend about Stull Cemetery being a gates to hell, um, they, you know, they also thought that there were these portals. And one of the urban legends in the places of that is in, in York County, Pennsylvania. And um, there's this whole like obstacle course there uh, in the woods near an area called Hellum Township dun, 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 uh, in Pennsylvania. And it says if you go through all these different places, including a burnt down insane asylum, including like, um, you know, different abandoned structures in this in this township, if you go through all seven of them, Eventually, you'll get to hell. Ooh. That's a quite a journey. Yeah. Um, and then they say, like, the uh, only one gate is visible during the day, but the other six are visible during the night. And, of course, no one has ever passed the fifth gate. <laughs> of course. And, you know, but little things like this, you know, even in, in the York County, like, their newspaper, 
uh, the guy had to write about it. And he had to be like, no, there was no insane asylum here that burnt down. Um, there was a doctor that did put up gates around his estate or whatever so people wouldn't trespass, which isn't weird for any, you know. Uh, but he wasn't a mad doctor that experimented on people hmm. okay. or anything like that. So, you, I mean, there was even a movie called Toad Road. Um, <laughs> because Toad, Toad Road, uh, it was nicknamed Once You Find Toad Road. Then you'll find the place where the where you walk through those gates, and so people would look for Toad Road, especially in the days before Google Maps or whatever. You try to find it, and uh, they wouldn't be able to find it because it didn't exist. Um, so you have that in, in Yorkshire, Pennsylvania, um, and then you get this other place in Illinois. They're such unsuspecting they, places, right? You know, you'd they're, think it would be like. Place. Salem or New Orleans or, you know, places that are traditionally known for paranormal stuff? Well, specifically about Salem is something I don't get why now Salem is capitalizing on the whole witch thing. And people are like, man, Salem's intense. I'm like, no, the whole point of the witch trials is that oh they, weren't any, they weren't real witches. Right. I know. It's horrible. And now we're like, yay, <laughs> yay witches. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like they're just using it for marketing, for getting people there. And obviously now, obviously in the time of the coronavirus, tourism is even more important than I get it. Well, I haven't. Have you been to Salem? No. Because I know they have like a memorial for the people that were executed yes. and stuff like that. So hopefully the history is emphasized and it's not just like, we we're going to fly around on brooms. Because I know that is the little symbol they have and stuff for their, I don't know, street signs or whatever. Right. And it, but I mean, they... they it's the one big historical thing that happened in Salem, Massachusetts. So of course they have to lean into it. Yeah, but it's it, I'm, it's a weird thing because people are like, "Oh yeah, Salem has a weird energy because it's right. all those witches." And I'm like, "But there weren't any witches. That's the whole point." Right. But the witch trials. I mean, right. The witch trials, and of course there's energy and and oh, great gosh. sadness and great tragedy yeah. happened. But um, it wasn't like a center of witchcraft. It wasn't. No. It wasn't Hogwarts. <laughs> it wasn't Hogwarts. Right. Yes. Um, and that's how people talk about Whitewater, Wisconsin, the same way. Whitewater, Wisconsin, also like 25 minutes from the gates of hell or 20 minutes. Right. So I guess we, we did have plenty of things going on there. Like people talk about Whitewater, Wisconsin. They say that, that the streets were originally designed in the shape of a pentagram to make it even more evil. Love it. And they talk about Whitewater as its American second Salem. That's amazing. And... um. My, that's another thing my sister told me. And I was like, what? Uh, even when I was like 10 years old, I'm like, get out of here. But then I now we see people talking about it and doing the whole thing. But the origin of all of that isn't because Whitewater was founded by witches. It's because there was a spiritualist institute there, the Morris Pratt yeah. Institute. Um, the farthest thing from witches, I mean, they're mediums who claim they can talk to the dead, but they're not performing witchcraft like for Satan. They have nothing to do with pentagrams or anything like that. I mean, spiritualism and the kind of things that they practice is just basically a form of Christianity where people can talk to the dead. But it's weird because they, you know, they do things like seances. And yeah. so, of course, that's going to that's going to that's going to make people talk. <laughs> But I, I've heard people say that the, you know, there's a lot of witchcraft energy around Whitewater yeah, yeah. because you know about all those witches. <laughs> and I'm like, there were witches. They were spirit. Um, huh? I, you know, I just it just gets me um, when people just spread misinformation. That's all. And the thing is, you know, you wonder why the area I'm from is was a supernatural wonderland, Wendy. And 
Um, I'll tell you, it's because we were in the far burbs of Milwaukee, yeah. where it was half farm kids and half kids whose parents worked in the city or for Miller or something like that. And so once you get on the farms, there's not that much to do. Nothing to so do. You, you got to make up stories. Collinsville, Illinois has the seven <laughs> gates of hell, too. Oh, my gosh. And so you have to go through every gate in order at midnight. And when you pass through the seventh gate, a portal to hell will open and you'll be greeted by hellhounds. Okay. And uh, if you repeat the order in reverse, where you go from gate seven to gate one at midnight, uh, you'll either see the hounds or the portal will tear a hole into reality where you can glimpse the lake of fire. Cool. Now... Somebody actually went through it and, and um, he documented all these gates. Uh, it's huntersoftheunknown.com. They went through and it's mostly like old railroad bridges. Oh, interesting. That kind of look like gates because they're, like, you walk under a bridge. And so the people made, you know, in Collinsville, Illinois, another place where we're bored and we need something to do. Hey, girls, let's go to the gates of hell and do the Ouija board. Well, and those things always make you wonder about if... You know, it's kind of like the the geographic version of a tulpa. You know, so right. many people going there and transferring fear and having expectations of, of stuff happening. Like if that energy just collects over the years and creates something there, you know, that's why it's interesting when people do investigations at those places. I'm always curious to see if they pick anything up. Well, it, and the thing is, I mean, this idea of a portal to the underworld um, that's it's, even though we make fun of the kids, you know, we're like, oh man, the you know the farm kids are so you know. Um, even though we're making fun of them, this is something that's been around forever. Back in the Middle Ages, it was it was a pretty common thing for artwork outside a church to show a hell mouth and um, a hell or the jaws of hell, like an entrance to hell with people going into it, which would be like the jaws of a. Uh, like a huge dragon or a beast or a serpent or something like that. Like it's the devil opening his mouth and swallowing them. And, you know, people kind of talk about that as that comes from this idea of Fenris, this great wolf in Norse mythology who, like the rest of the Norse gods, were trying to keep his mouth as wide open as possible because he could like open up his mouth and swallow the world kind of thing oh. Fenris and when Ragnarok hits Fenris kills Odin and um you know is one of the like causes the end of like Ragnarok mm-hmm. the end of the world so I mean this idea of the hell mouth like the you know the jaws of the devil or whatever I mean goes back I mean beyond Christianity of course and even when you go back to Greek myth there's that idea that your body just doesn't go to hell. So, I mean, you, you die, and then you don't just go to the underworld. You have to go across the River Styx. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, Charon is the guy that he's the, he's the ferryman that takes you across into the, you know, the land of the dead. And that land of the dead, um, the underworld in uh, the Greco-Roman mythology, and it's also, like, in, in old uh, Jewish mythology, in the... There's, it's called Shoal. And I think some people think that's where we get our word hell. Oh, um, interesting. But like in that mythology, the land of the dead is just a dark place. It's all very uh, similar to the boring, sad Greek land of the dead where mm. you know you go there and it's not very much fun. Yeah. 
And uh, But the crossing of the river Styx, like some Greeks were buried in their hand, they were buried with coins, and the coin was supposed to be for the ferryman. So you'd give the coin to Charon. Charon's obol is what they called it. Ah. And you'd give him a little money. And so then he takes you across to Styx. So you pay him a little bit uh, to take you across. And, you know, there's been a ton of, like, gra- I mean, grave robbers have gone through. And in a lot of these Greek and Roman places, the grave robbers look for any kind of little monies there because that would be a collectible you could get to the museum or things. Mm, okay. So if you raid, like, an ancient Greek grave or an ancient Roman grave, you'd look for Charon's obol because you want to. that's what you want to steal to give to the museum. Wow. And then even as uh, recently as... I would say the 19th century, um, my mother would talk about she would be at funerals where people had coins on the eyes of the dead. Mm. And I thought that that was related to, you know, a penny for the ferryman or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Oh. Um, they put pennies on the eyes or quarters on the eyes of the dead to keep the eyes closed in an open casket funeral. Oh. Like there's even a picture of like I was talking about Mary Todd Lincoln before. There's even a picture of, like Abe Lincoln. Oh, man. Like they put they put coins on his eyes so he wouldn't so the eyes wouldn't pop open in the middle of the funeral. Oh, boy. Today morticians have like an eye cap. That's like a little uh a contact lens they can put over the eyeball and there's grippers. I was gonna say, I would think they just glue your eyes shut or something, but what do I yeah. know? Well they they sew your mouth <sighs> shut. Right, so the idea of like you're like imagine if oh. you could still feel or think, we just can't move. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Shut. Let's not. No. So either not. they use the they use the contact lenses with grippers on them, or there's a thin line of adhesive in the lids that they could you know they kind of they so they do glue your eyes shut a little bit. Um, but back in the day, they didn't have that, so they put the uh, the coins on the eyes. So the coins on the eyes that I thought had always had something to do with the with money for the ferryman into the land of the dead, yeah. but not so much. Not so just much. Practical. <laughs> practical. Right. You know, but there were places in ancient Greece where they they thought were, you know, portals to the underworld. And a lot of times these were caves. Uh, and you would have to like, obviously caves have rivers and, you know, groundwater and stuff. And, you know, they think that if you could go, uh, you know, into that cave or whatever, eventually you would get the, to the land of the dead. And... There's a couple of different places where people as, you know, consider, like, there's uh, a cave near Lerna Lake, a um, cave near the river uh, Acheron, a cave at uh, Tenerum. And you're like, why would it always be caves? Why would it, you know, why was the underworld? Well, in the, like, mid-20th century, they discovered this particular cave in Greece that had been used as a, a place where they buried people. Oh, and so okay. there's this, like this massive cave that they did, like they rediscovered, like the ancestors of the Greek people that that then spread mm. to the rest of the the rest of the country or whatever. Um, they remember burying all these people for centuries or whatever in this gigantic cave. So they think of these different caves as the entrance to the underworld. That's and I mean it works too because caves are dark and scary. <laughs> scary, right? So it plays nicely into that. Fear and whatnot. Right. And when you bury people, you put them in the ground. Right. So, so that's the idea. You put them in the ground. Now, the Greeks didn't really have a, um, the concept of hell that we, you know, that we do today. And the, uh, the ancient Jews didn't really have that concept either. They had this idea of Gehenna, 
um, like, you know, this horrible place you might go um, after God's judgment kind of thing. Like the early Jewish people didn't even have as much of an idea uh, of the afterlife until they'd been introduced to Greek society. So most of the time in the Old Testament, God's not promising eternal life or whatever. God's doing favors for you in this life, Mm. not the next life. And that really is a Greek idea that you have this eternal soul and that you go to a place after you've died. And then the Christians jump onto it and they make, all right, well, there's a, there's a place you go to that's if you're good and there's a place you go to if you're bad. <laughs> and um, even some Christians have this, uh, I think they're called annihilist Christians. It's a sweet name. <laughs> I'm an annihilist. <laughs> and they, do, and I even, I even, uh, read an article by the Archbishop of Canterbury where he talks about this, where he says, like, you don't immediately go to heaven after you die. You don't immediately go to hell. Your body's just dead, and then you get raised from you get raised from the grave in the day of judgment, and that's when Jesus makes the call, whether you go up or whether you go down. Hmm. So there'd be no human, because we haven't had judgment day yet, there's no humans in hell. I see, okay. So that, that kind of thing. And that goes that's the whole idea. Ghosts, too, would go against that. That's why a lot of Christians don't believe in ghosts, because there's no spirit for them to haunt. So that's what they would say. It's not really a ghost. It's a demon kind of uh, messing with you or whatnot. Hmm. So, I mean, we got these traditional ideas of in places where people have said are entrances to the underworld. There's obviously the uh, you know the local urban legends from Stull Cemetery to uh, Pennsylvania where people had it, and then there's the modern. I, you know, I think we think of ourselves, you know, because we are we are modern people, Wendy. You and I, we, indeed, we are. <laughs> we think of ourselves as fairly cosmopolitan, um, and because we think of that. We're like, well, you know, hell's not a place, right? You know, even if you believe in the idea of hell, it's not a place. A physical location that you just like, you don't dig a hole in the backyard and keep digging till you get there. Right. Or do you? Um, the well to hell was uh, Russians drilled so deep into the earth in the ni- late 1980s that they um, they actually found hell. So they go down like almost nine miles into the earth. Wow. And it said, like, once, they, once they drilled that far, that it broke through into a cavity on the inside of the earth, like something like, like a hollow earth, something's and in there, right? Did it break into an antrum? It broke into the earth's antrum. And so they dropped a microphone down there. And they said that the microphone could only last like 30 seconds or something like that before it burned up. But then here was the sound they got. Oh, boy. And the sound was just people screaming. Like, you've heard it. Oh, yeah. I heard it on Coast to Coast AM one night when I was, like, up super late and then, or couldn't sleep or something. Right. It didn't help me fall asleep hearing that. No. And like, check <laughs> this out. horrifying. And so it's this a Siberian hell sounds. And of course, it happens in Siberia. Yeah. It happens in the 80s. They say they only got 17 seconds before the microphone melts. <laughs> and then what happens is, is that this gets picked up by the Trinity Broadcasting Network. So this hoax, like somebody prints it in like a small Christian publication or whatever, and then it gets picked up by the Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN. And um, they start running a story like on their TV station that scientists discover hell. 
<laughs> you know, and and then it starts getting picked up all over the place. By the time we hear about it in like the late nineties, it's you know an urban legend for years. It's something that you kind of hear about before the internet, where you can actually talk to people and see if it's real or whatnot. And, and the thing is, uh, the audio recording actually wasn't heard until two thousand and two. When somebody sent it into Coast to Coast AM, like emailed it and said, I've discovered the audio recording. So I didn't realize this. So the audio, like the audio recording wasn't heard. It was just reported for the first like 10 years. And then somebody emails it into Coast to Coast. (laughs) And like, here's the letter they write in. They're like, I just recently began listening to your radio show and cannot believe it when you talked about the sounds from hell tonight. My uncle had told me the story a couple of years ago and I didn't believe him. Like one of your listeners who discounted the story is nothing more than just a religious newspaper fabricated account. The story about the digging, the hearing the sounds from hell is very real. It did occur in Siberia. My uncle collected videos in the paranormal and supernatural. He passed away recently. He let me listen to one of the audio tapes he had on the sounds from Hell in Siberia, and I copied it. He received this copy from a friend who worked at the BBC. Attached is that sound from my uncle's tape. Oh, my gosh. And so he plays it on coast to coast. And then, obviously, that's when we hear it. We're like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. Wendy has nightmares. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because this is all a hoax, obviously. Um <laughs> The Russians, the Russians did dig a super deep hole, but it wasn't Siberia. It was um, near the uh, the Kola Peninsula, which shares the border, Russia's border with Norway and Finland. Mm-hmm. And they got seven and a half miles deep called wow. the Kola Super Deep Borehole. <laughs> um, and they did that in 1989, but they didn't... Um, they didn't get any supernatural encounters. They said Aww. it was interesting like for science, but there was no like strange supernatural encounters. Hmm. But what happens is this Finnish newsletter originally is the place where they did the first, they, they first report it or they first do a report of it in a Finnish like Christian newsletter. And then this Finnish teacher is on vacation in America. He sees like TBN or something like that. And he's like, oh man, I can make this even worse. So he trolls oh like boy. TBN. <laughs> oh no. And makes things even worse. <sighs> and so then what happens is, like, TBN reports it. Then it gets kind of forgotten about, except on the people who listen to Coast to Coast. And then somebody decides to troll Art Bell by uh, looping audio from a movie called Barren Blood in 1972. Like, they take this old movie. They, like, loop and layer the audio, <laughs> probably in GarageBand or something. And then they send it to Art Bell. And, um Yeah. And then it becomes a hoax. And there's there's this whole article on Skeptoid where they go into the history of the uh, of the well to hell and the hoax. And um, you know they get a quote from the like the Finnish teacher that's like, yeah, he, he you know he really wanted to screw with everybody, and um, he wow. was happy. He did a good hoax. job. <laughs> yeah, he was happy to do the hoax. So the well to but the thing is, is like it's good. Like I first heard that, I'm like, yeah. oh my god, is that real? Which is cool because you know. It, it just goes to show imagination and having that whole story set up before you hear it. Mm-hmm. Just And it is just really an awful sound. So, Well, you know, that's I mean, Coast to Coast also had a thing for really deep holes. There was a guy that called in from Washington State. He said his name was Mel Waters and that uh, he, you know, he earns owns some rural property in uh, Kittius County, Washington. And he said there was a weird hole there. And he said it had infinite depth and the ability to restore dead animals to life. 
So, I mean, going into the ground and resurrection, um, I mean, that's straight out of the Apostles' Creed. I mean, that the harrowing of hell after uh, Jesus dies, he goes down to hell with the with dead people and then comes back out to prove that he's got power over the hmm. devil and power over death. Um, Greek myth, Orpheus, you know, going into hell to pick up Eurydice to, you know, see if he can, can get his wife back. Um, Odysseus visits the underworld and comes back from it. This idea that you can go to the underworld and resurrect. I mean, that's kind of, even uh, if you go to the Epic of Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh does the exact same thing, goes to the underworld where the dead are and returns and, and resurrects. And so Mel's saying that his hole can do that with animals, <laughs> the, pet, the pet cemetery of Washington State. Wow. Um, anyway, uh, he said he's got it to more than eight, 80,000 feet. He said he used fishing line and a weight. Where do you get 80,000 feet of fishing line, Mel? <laughs> nice. But he said what happened was that the U.S. government seized this land and then made him, like, funded his relocation to Australia. So then other people called up and said, like, that, yes, they'd heard of Mel's Hole. Um, one guy called up and said that he was a medicine man by the name of Red Elk. Jeez. <laughs> oh, and that he, you know, he's been to the hole and he's like, yes, it's the top secret base where alien activity occurs. Just, you know, all this kind of thing. I mean, Mel Waters, like, he, there's no evidence that he was ever, you know, ever anybody owned any kind of property in Washington State by the name of, you know, Mel Waters or whatever. And uh, this, even the State Department of Natural Resources had to be like, no, Mel's hole does not exist. And it's geologically impossible that anything, because let me do the math real quick. Like, one mile is like 500 or 5,000 some feet, right? Mm-hmm. So 80,000 divided by whatever, 532. So that'd be over 15 miles deep. So if the Russians, using all of their technology, only got seven and a half miles into the earth, we're supposed to believe that this Mel, <laughs> speaking of, speaking of holes, right. <laughs> what, what kind of a-holes does he think we are for believing? So this idea, um, this portals to hell. That people are out there and they're looking for, you know, ways into the underworld. It's gone on a lot longer than just uh, Jack Osborne and Katrina Weidman have been looking for in the past two years. So you guys can see what they find when they look for the portals to hell. It'll be Friday the 13th, premiering on the Travel Channel at 8 p.m. Central. And you can see what the grandson of darkness finds. <laughs> Uh, you know, when, when they go out. And yes. All right. Well, I look forward to checking that out. Jack and Katrina purposefully going to places with a dark energy made me think about Nietzsche's infamous passage from Beyond Good and Evil. Whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And when you look long into an abyss, the abyss also looks into you. And of course, Portals to Hell is going to make me think about the Crack of Doom. That's what Tolkien called the forge where Sauron from the Lord of the Rings created the one ring to rule them all, and it's where it had to be taken to be destroyed. But the phrase the crack of doom originally meant something else. The word crack means an extremely loud noise, like a crack of thunder, and the crack of doom means the end of the world, because it's the loud noise of angelic trumpets that will sound at the breaking of the seventh seal, and that's the beginning of the last judgment from the book of Revelation. Jesus will return and bring the good souls to heaven and cast the bad souls into the lake of fire. Catholic filmmaker Kevin Smith played with this idea in his film Red State. 
So you throw together a little Nietzsche, the gates of hell, and the lake of fire, and that's how you get this week's song. Here's Sunspot with The Crack of Doom. listening to today's episode you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com until next time see you on the other side all this talk about the gates of hell makes me think about the people we're gonna see on the gates to heaven <laughs> that is the see oh, you man. on the other side sunspot patreon community um those are the people who <laughs> are sweet and wonderful enough. And I did talk to the Pope, and you're all going to heaven as long as you keep your Patreon current. Uh, You you can do whatever you want. The Pope said it's cool. I was curious how you were going to tie that one in. (laughs) Nice. But uh, the Patreon community are the coolest people we know, and they're the people who financially support the See on the Other Side podcast, as well as our band Sunspot, with a small donation every month. Patreon is the vehicle by which you can... Uh, financially contribute to uh, some of your favorite creators, including people like Wendy and I. Wendy, where can people find the Patreon for us? They can find our Patreon by visiting othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And the Patreon at the level where he gets a shout out in every single episode Mm. is our friend, Dr. Ned. Ned! Dr. Ned, your contribution makes shows like this and our songs and everything like that happen and we thank you very much for the support and to all our patreon community you guys are the best thank you so much and we can't wait to get you some special live videos posts and things like that uh we're hopefully still going to be going to texas we still have three events lined up in texas next week and as long as the coronavirus doesn't come along and kill everybody else um we are planning on uh, going down there and we got some special stuff for you lined up and including a special paranormal event on Sunday. You know, all this talking about the gates of hell makes me think, 
<sighs> <sighs> that makes me think that too. <laughs>